Hello, Shoot Your Shot faithful. After a one-week break from Memorial Day, we are back with another episode. Today, we're going to be talking about the end of the first round and beginning of the second round in the NBA playoffs, as well as some off-season NFL action. Episode 45 coming at you right now. everybody and welcome back once again. I'm Landon Pangburn along with my brother and co-host Preston Pangburn. We took off last week from Memorial Day, but not only that, we had a big thing going down in our family, our six-year plan of luring our parents back to Atlanta is underway with Laurel officially being an ATLian now. P, how you doing? I'm good. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about that earlier today, kind of in the context of a couple other things. Uh, I spent Friday night in Alpharetta for Mariah's 30th birthday party. Yeah. It was a great time, kind of a, a blast from the past, just hanging out in Glen Abbey. You That's know, we spent a amazing. lot of time there in high school. Um, yeah, the, their party had a DJ, a couple bartenders, and even had a candy station. So, wow. needless to say, right up my alley. But anyway, between spending some time in Alpharetta this weekend, Lauren moving back to Atlanta this week, and then mom's going to be here later later tonight it feels like 2014 it really does i mean earlier than that for me there was a period of my life mainly in middle school when every friday at like 4 30 immediately after school everybody would descend upon the Glen abbey basketball courts and run five on five on a very small court that was not nearly big enough for that for like three hours it was awesome yeah it was one of those sport courts that yeah. was really easy to get hurt on yeah there we was, spent a lot of time there and at the pool it, it was a great yeah, spot if there was one drop of rain your knee's done. Like you're yeah. going, you're, you're, you're done. Like you're falling everywhere. You're, you're going to explode. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. And I, I think I remember we used to lower the rim to seven or eight feet and play on that, which just makes it increasingly more dangerous. But anyway, good times. We made it through. Yes, we did. All right. Well, got a lot of NBA action going on right now. So as of yesterday, Sunday, we officially finished the end of the first round and got the second round underway. So I'm going to start off with game seven of the Mavs versus Clippers. It was a really fun game, although I have to say it's kind of what I expected. The Mavs just kind of ran out of firepower, didn't have enough to match up, especially with Kawhi. What did you see there? Yeah, well, it was a very strange series just in general. The road team won the first six games. Kawhi dropped 45, was kind of heroic in Game 6 to force that Game 7 back home in L.A. And then in Game 7, it was it was kind of what you expected, even though, like I said, the road team had won every game. Teams, I think, at home in Game 7 win 78% of the time. I was talking to my friends about this yesterday because we were talking about who we should bet on in the game, and I don't know. I just felt like Clippers at home, back against the wall. Luka is really all the Mavs have offensively. They're just too dependent on him. So I guess what I saw was just the Mavs running out of gas. Luka had 46, 14, and 7, and they still lost by 15. I mean, guy needs help. Yeah, you mentioned the 78% thing, but stats aside, I just got that feeling watching the series, right? Like going into game seven, and especially once the Mavs had a lead late in game six, you just got the sense that they needed to finish it right then and there. And if they didn't do it, they were in trouble. And like you said, Kawhi went full on hero mode, reminded everybody why he's one of the best, I don't know, best five, I'll say five, one of the top five players in the NBA. He was incredible, even though 
he is just such an interesting game compared to most people with his mid-range deal and he's just so unemotional i he's he baffles me but he he was incredible playoff p pandemic p did just enough to win and i'm with you there the mavs are in a weird situation doesn't it feel like to you that aside from Luka, everybody on their team right now is just one rung on the ladder above where they need to be to be a championship team. Like, I think Luka is a good enough best player on a championship team. Oh, of course. But Chris Dapps, yeah, he is. But Chris Dapps can't be second. He needs to be third. And, like, Tim Hardaway Jr. is a good starter on a good team, but he's not the third best player like he is in the Mavs. Like, everyone needs to be one step lower. They're missing that second guy, and then everything else would fit, but... Right now, they just don't have enough to win. Right, and Porzingis, you said he could be third. I might even say fourth. I mean, he's just really declined, and given what his contract is, he's kind of just a nuisance at this point. I think that they've kind of floated the idea of trading him. He expressed some concern about his role and said he's not really happy there, so more to come on that. We'll see what they do this offseason, but yeah, it just feels like Mark Cuban, especially considering you know what he gave up to move up in the draft and get Luka and how good Luka's been in his first two years, that he's going to want Luka to be his next you know, Dirk Nowitzki play there for 20 years years be a map his whole career but if if he wants that he's got to get him some help i mean the porzingis thing hasn't worked and they just they need more firepower to take that next step yeah you can't underestimate though the power of a role change like for example draymond green was the best fourth best player on a team in nba history as a second best player he's horrible but fourth like all of his the gifts on the basketball court just come out and he's incredible. Like maybe Chris Stapps is like that. Maybe as a third fiddle, he could be really good, but just not as number two. I want the Mavs to be good just between the team, Luca, Mark Cuban's a likable guy, at least in my opinion. I want them to take a step forward. I don't know where they're going to go because they're likely going to sign Luca to a $200 million extension this offseason. They don't have a ton of cap space, so they can't really add another star unless they trade Chris Dapps. So looking forward to see what they do this offseason. They just need to pull off one of those trades where they dump Chris Dapps in like four or five first rounders and get Dame. Just run it. Dame is, Dame is right before you said that, it came to my mind, like Dame is the option. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who else. And like both of those guys are so good that Luca and Dame, like they'll make it work together. But with Luca being kind of like a point forward, he is 100% a point forward. I don't know what you surround him with. It's almost like you structure it like a LeBron team where you surround Luca with shooters, but obviously Dame is a shooter. He just, mm-hmm. you know, is a point guard as well. So anyway, we'll talk more about that later. Who knows if Dame will even ask for a trade. They just fired Terry Stott. So maybe, you know, <laughs> they can convince him they're going to turn things around. But anyway, back on track for the Mavs Clippers series. The Clippers are now moving on to play the Jazz. What do you think about that series? So even though the Clippers beat the Mavs in a big game seven the whole series just reminded me of why the Clippers are the Clippers and why they don't ever win anything. They just don't have a killer instinct, right? There's not a winning franchise. I don't trust them at all. There were times in the series when their second unit struggled to compete with the Mavs bench and the Jazz have the sixth man of the year and the seventh man of the year and Joe Ingles. He went and he was runner up in sixth man of the year voting. And so they have the best bench in the NBA. I don't think that the Clippers are good enough in any realm to to beat the Jazz over a seven-game series. I'm going Jazz and six. Jazz and six. Okay, so you've got them closing it out in L.A. Yeah, the thing about the Clippers in the Mavs series is that they got down 2-0 and then came back and tied it 2-2, then got down 3-2. It's like they just kept 
kind of being passive, getting down in the series, and then when they had their backs against the wall, they would come alive and win. You can't afford to do that against the Jazz, especially on the road. So yeah, I'm with you. I think the Jazz are deeper, and the Jazz are just a little better. Of course, Kawhi is the best player in the series, but I like the Jazz at home. I'm going Jazz in seven. Yeah, it's kind of rare that I straight up pick against a team when the other team has the best team, or sorry, the best player in the series. Like, like you said, Kawhi is clearly the best, but the Jazz, I think, are overall just a far superior team. So I think you got to roll with them. Yeah, I mean, don't sleep on Joe Ingles. Like you said, seventh man of the year. Bro, Joe Ingles is actually sick. Yeah. Like, he's really good. I feel like people sometimes make, make jokes about him. He's really good at what he does. Like, he can stroke threes, and he's really good as a pick-and-roll guy. Are one of the jokes that you hear about him, um, Jordan Fulton saying that he's the NBA version of Matt Sublett? <laughs> we need Jordan Fulton on this show more. Just yeah. he needs to just sit here and just zing one-liners every five minutes, and I would love it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the next series that has uh, game one already wrapped up. That's the Hawks and the Sixers. The hometown Hawks came out and crushed them. Of course, they almost totally blew it at the end multiple times, but ended up pulling out the win, one twenty-eight to one twenty-four. Trey was just ice cold again with thirty-five points and ten assists. He's killing it. What do you think about that game? That was a wild game. What was their biggest lead? Do you know? It was close to 30. I mean, I want to say it was like 26. It was at least 26 because I know at one point in the first half, it was 53 to 27. So they're up by a ton. The end of the game, it looked like, you know, the the middle school team that completely forgot what to do against a full court press and just kept on handing the ball to the other team. I was like, y'all are professional basketball players. What is happening right now? Yeah, we were talking about it in one of our group chats, and uh, Cox made the point that Kevin Herter can't break the press. No, it's really no funny because he he kind of looks like the kid in like eighth grade. <laughs> yeah. He'll he'll stroke a three if you know you're playing a half court game, but if he gets pressed, oh god, he's panicking. Trey was turning it over too, though. Like they just had no idea what to do. That was one of those weird things where. I even said during the game, I was like, if they blow this, the series might be over. Like as weird as that sounds to say in game one, like what a devastating blow that would be to go up 30 on the road in game one and then collapse in that fashion. But they pulled it out. There were some kind of anomalies in this game. First of all, it was surprising with Joel Embiid because I didn't think he was going to play. And if he did play, I didn't think he was going to look good. And he dropped 39. And then on the other side, the Hawks shot the lights out from three and from the free throw line. They made 23s after averaging 12 a game all season. And they shot, I think, 20 for 21 from the free throw line, which is whatever, 90, high 90%, 95%, something like that. Um, so yeah, they there were kind of a couple strange things happening there. But regardless, the Hawks stole game one on the road. And I think people are finally coming around to the fact that they are not a fluke and that they can legitimately contend in this series. They can. I mean, I think the Hawks are really good. Like Trey Young, he was really good last year. I think he averaged something like 30 and 10, and he's just kind of taking his next step forward, doing it in the playoffs. And I just, they might have had my favorite offseason this past offseason of anybody, just the way that they surrounded Trey with kind of these playmakers, just really solid guys like Danilo Gallinari. Uh, how do you say his name? Bogdan Bogdanovich, mm-hmm. uh, who came up really clutch at the end. I mean, he hit that huge three he's, to kind of save He's them. just good. He is really good. I mean, I just, I really like what they've done this season. Nate McMillan, I mean, he could be coach of the century if he gets them into uh, the Eastern Conference Finals. But yeah, they um, they came out hot, played really well, were able to close it out. I think that the Sixers will come out in game two with a totally different approach. I saw one hilarious stat about them defensively. So in the first half, 
Uh, Trey scored 19 of his 25 points while being guarded by Danny Green, and Danny Green attempted zero shots. So Doc Rivers' strategy in that game was just for Danny Green to D up, and that went horribly. So It did not go well. <laughs> so I think that they're going to go with Ben Simmons as the primary defender on Trey for game two. And then this is kind of the reason they took Matisse Teibel in the first round, right? I mean, they want him to be a defender on Trey as well. So I think it's going to be completely different look in game two, but we'll see. Yeah, it was fun. I, I like your point about the Hawks offseason. They do deserve a lot of credit. You mentioned a couple guys, but you didn't mention Clint Capella, which was a huge midseason trade last year. We're also not even getting to see Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter yet, which I'm not saying those two guys are great players, but I love the idea behind it. They are the type of guy who wins you NBA games now, guys who can D up, who can switch multiple positions, and who can hit, who can shoot from the outside, who can hit some threes. So Cam Reddish is back to full practice. DeAndre Hunter is a game-time decision for, for game two. So with those two guys coming back, like even more depth for the Hawks rotation. So yeah, I love what the Hawks have done. And not only for right now, like, yeah, maybe they win the series, maybe they don't. But they are going to be formidable for a little while because they have a lot of young guys and guys like Kevin Herter can still improve. Like he's a good player. They have a lot of room for improvement, even despite how well they're playing right now. Yeah, we didn't even mention Lou. I mean, he's mm-hmm. instant scoring off the bench. He's great for any playoff team. He's won six man of the year, what, three times? I mean, guy's a stud scorer off the bench. So, yeah, the Hawks, I think they're dangerous. I think they could win the series for sure. Yeah, you did mention Gallo, though. I do need to poop on his contract a little bit. Three years, $60 million for Daniel Gallinari is a little much. It's fine. Did you see his throwdown in the third quarter? <laughs> I don't and care. his mohawk? The playoff mohawk makes it possibly worth it, but his stats do not. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, well, that's enough on the Hawks for now. Go Hawks. Um, the next series we want to talk about is Game 2 tonight. That's the Bucks and the Nets. So the Nets are up 1-0 despite losing James Harden in the first minute of Game 1 to hamstring tightness. Who knows if he's going to be back? What do you think about the series either way? So going into it, we had a little bit of a bet on this series. We have a dinner bet. You have the Nets and I have the Bucks winning the series. So I still like my pick, honestly. I still like the Bucks. I think that out of any team left in the playoffs right now, they have the best chance at matching up with the Nets' big three. Now, you, you mentioned James Harden. Who knows if he's going to come back? It doesn't seem like a severe injury, so let's assume that he's coming back. But having Giannis on Kevin Durant, Chris Middleton on James Harden, and Drew Holiday on Kyrie, I think those are the best three guys that you're going to find on one team to match up with the Nets big three the problem is offense just dominates defense in the NBA these days you you watched it in that game seven yesterday where bad defense is not being played it's just there's so many shooters on the floor and so much shot creation the pick and roll so hard to stop that offense tends to win over defense every time so you need guys to score. Uh, the Bucks are going to just have to shoot really well to win this series. That's the only way they can do it. But I think they have, they have a really good shot. They are only one-point underdogs tonight on the road in Brooklyn. It's a big win. I mean, it's a must-win game for them. And so I'm going to pick the Bucks in the series. I still think they got it. Yeah, just to circle back on something you said, we joked about it after the James Harden trade when, you know, that first two weeks when they had James Harden, the Nets were on this tear of like historically good offense and historically bad defense. We were joking about how they were going to have to win some playoff games, 150 to 140, and that might be what happens here. And they're going to be fine with that, of course, right? I mean, Wins win. Yeah, even without James Harden, like on the offensive side of the ball, if you still have Kyrie, KD, and some really good role players, including Joe Harris, who can shoot 40% from three, I mean, 
they're just trouble. And I agree with you that that big three on the Bucks is defensively the best matchup there is. I just think the Nets are better than everyone. I mean, I, I get why they're a somewhat heavy favorite to win the finals right now, even if they have to deal with injuries along the way. Yeah, the only difference with James Harden gone is that when he is in the lineup, they can have two of those three guys on the floor basically at all times. And if he's out, then they can't always have both KD and Kyrie on the floor. So there's just going to be a few more times during the game where they have a little bit less firepower out there and are maybe possibly prone to a couple more scoring droughts. But I mean, yeah, they're still going to be really, really tough to beat, even with James Harden out. But my bucks are the guys to do it. All right. I I disagree, but you know, dinner. We'll see. Next week or two, we'll we'll find out. All right. The final series we got to talk about the Nuggets and the Suns. I love this series just because it's kind of fresh faces. One of them is going to go to the Western Conference Finals for the first time in a long time. The Suns are minus 200 in the series. It's unfortunate because I'm, you know, going to be asleep for this one. But what do you think? Who's going to win this one? Who's going to win the series? Honestly, my first thought is that I'm just a little bit sad that Jamal Murray is hurt. Because if Jamal Murray was healthy, this would be maybe my favorite series in the playoffs, right? Like, it would just be incredible. Two really talented and likable teams. I think for the same thing I've been saying throughout, even before the playoffs started, with Jamal Murray not playing, the Nuggets just don't have enough. Michael Porter Jr. being their second best player, at least second best scorer out there. He's just not quite there yet. If Chris Paul stays healthy, the Suns are going to win this series. I'm with you. I mean, I think minus 200 is appropriate. That's, you know, a decently big favorite. I think they win it, especially being at home. And I think that the key matchup here is DeAndre Ayton versus Jokic. Like Jokic last series against the Blazers, after only having one assist in game one, you know, he couldn't really get it going offensively, but he finished the series averaging 33 points, 10 and a half rebounds. I mean, he was still, you know, getting his teammates involved. MPJ averaged 19 a game. But, you know, DeAndre Ayton, if you look at the way he played against Anthony Davis last series, he looked really good. I think he shot like 80% from the field on the offensive side too. So I just think that's going to be a really fun matchup and the big guys down low might determine this series. So everybody knows the narrative about how basketball has moved away from the big guys, more pace and space and all of that. But is right now, are we, are we seeing a resurgence of the dominant center? Like I'm just thinking I was having this conversation at the pool on Saturday with some of my boys, like how many good centers do we have in the NBA right now? Like a lot now. In the last couple of years, we've had a bunch of guys kind of rise up and become really good. It's just yeah, it's, it's a lot of kind of like the hybrid ones where yeah. like Jokic and AD, yeah, you can call them centers, but they also kind of like to play power forward a little bit, step out. They're good passers. So yeah, I think the center position is just evolving a little bit. But what's interesting about it is DeAndre Ayton is about as traditional of a center as they come, and he's making a huge impact for a team that, in my opinion, is going to the finals. Yeah, he's awesome. I mean, Joel Embiid, he's a traditional center too, but he just has added additional skills like being able to shoot threes and and pull up for elbow jumpers like off the dribble. So yeah, I mean, basketball is changing, but we have a lot of good big guys in the league right now and it's fun to see again. Yeah, I mean, it kind of works both ways because you've got all the good big guys, but the point guards right now are pretty incredible too, especially the ones who can shoot it from deep like Steph and Dame. Oh yeah. So yeah, the NBA is in a really good spot. And I guess to kind of wrap up talking about these series that are going on right now, we talked about uh, how we saw that it was going to be the first NBA Finals um, since 1998 without one of the Lakers, Warriors, Spurs, and Heat. So of course, that's very driven by LeBron and the Warriors dynasty. But now that they've both been eliminated there's going to be some fresh faces in the finals and i'm really looking forward to it yes you've got that stat there's also a couple other good stats one do you remember the whole Shaq teammate thing uh remind me so every nba finals since i believe 1983 1984 
has had at least one guy who has been a teammate of Shaquille O'Neal. And so this year, the only three guys left are Rajon Rondo, Danny Green, and Jeff Green. So if one of those three guys makes it to the finals, it stays alive. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I don't really know how like that relates, but it's it does. It's just kind of random. And then uh, there was one more, the fact that this is the first finals since 2010 without LeBron or Steph, which is kind of weird. It is weird, but granted, I mean, they played each other in the finals for four straight years. Yep. This decade has been dominated by them, clearly. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. But like I said, my stat was since 1998, so that finals was Bulls-Jazz. Yep. This could be the year the Jazz make it back. Let's go. It'll be fun. And finally get over the hump. This time they won't have to play Michael freaking Jordan. So, so we think. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. You never know. You never know. All right, you want to move on to the NFL? Let's do it. We only got one piece of news, right? We do, and it's some huge news. Julio Jones traded to the Tennessee Titans for a 2022 second rounder and a 2023 fourth rounder. And I think the uh, Falcons also threw in a sixth round pick. Kind of irrelevant. Anyway, what did you think of the trade? Did the Falcons get enough in return here? So for me, this is a rare trade that I actually love for both teams. So... I'm not all in on Julio right now because of his injury risk, his age. He's not super reliable anymore. He tends to miss at least several games every year, right? So I think that the Falcons needed to unload him and needed to get as much as they could in return. They shopped him for a little bit, and this is what they got. So to me, that just means this was the best offer on the table, right? So yeah, they got max value for him, at least so it seems. On the other side, I love it when teams sell out to try to win a Super Bowl. The Titans realize that they're close, but they're not quite there. And so they're doing whatever they can to get another guy. I love the combination of Julio, AJ Brown, and Derrick Henry. Such a nightmare. Like that is so hard to stop. And I think that Ryan Tannehill is good enough, right? I think given how much they hand the ball off, that his skill set, I mean, for the last year and a half, it's not just like a, a small sample. For the last year and a half, he's played really well for them. I think they've got enough to do it now. Like, I think you got to consider them. NFL is tough to win and injuries play a huge role, but you got to consider them one of the top five or six contenders for the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I really like this Titans team and I like Tannehill a lot. I mean, he's pretty good, especially in that role. He, you know, might have the easiest job of any quarterback in the, in the NFL, the way he's able to give it to Derrick Henry and kind of lean on that running game. And I saw the stat today that the Titans averaged 30 points per game last year, and now they add Julio and they get their starting left tackle, Taylor Dewan back, who they who was out most of last season. So they're going to be really dangerous. And then I also just want to mention how well I think A.J. Brown and Julio complement each other. I mean, not only are they both just incredible receivers and this, these huge dudes, they're going to be really hard to guard and really hard to tackle. But you know how the narrative over the last few years about Julio is that he kind of became more of a possession receiver, but for whatever reason, they couldn't find him in the end zone. Mm-hmm. And that's I don't want to say the opposite of AJ Brown because he gets, you know, a ton of catches too, but he's more of like a 75 to 80 catch guy and is just a monster in the red zone. So I just feel like they complement each other incredibly well. And once they get inside the twenties and you've got the threat of Derek Henry, those two guys on the outside. And then don't forget, I mean, Ryan Tannehill can take off and run it for a touchdown too. I he's think he fast. runs like a four five. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that guy's kind of a freak. He's a converted wide receiver, but anyway, yeah, I just think that they're going to be really good specifically in the red zone. I mean, what do you do as a defensive coordinator? You either load the box against Derrick Henry and have one-on-one coverage against either AJ Brown or Julio, which is a nightmare or you throw six guys in the box and Derrick Henry runs for 250 yards on you. It's just, it's not, yeah, it's not a good situation. Last year, Ryan Tannehill, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think it's like 
3,800 yards and 33 touchdowns and seven picks. Like that's that's great considering how much he hands the ball off. Like that's just a dangerous offense. It is. And circling back to the red zone once again, I think my least favorite play in the NFL is the goal line fade. <laughs> it just is something that is incredibly inefficient and really hasn't worked since Megatron, who was just very good at it, came down with every single one. But this is going to bring it back, right? Like you said, when Derrick Henry is on the two yard line, you have to have eight in the box or mm-hmm. you're done. Yeah. And so they can just throw it to either side, you know, whichever side you put your small corner on you're toast with either AJ or Julio. So it's going to be a lot of fun between, you know, this revamped Titans offense and, and the Colts revamped offense as well with Carson Wentz. It, it's going to be an interesting AFC South. Well, it's going to be dope. Can't wait. And then I, I guess we didn't talk as much about the Falcons. You said you loved it for both teams. I did not like this for the Falcons, not just the trade itself. I mean, I think that second round pick comes back in like the mid 50s. So, you know, it'll be a decent pick, I guess. But I just feel like they could have gotten more if they held out a little bit. You know, the market is the market. If a team could have swept in with a late first round pick and gotten it done, I would have liked to see, you know, the Ravens or maybe the Packers do it to try and appease Aaron Rodgers or get Lamar to take that next step. But my bigger problem with the Falcons is I just don't understand their strategy. Like after they chose not to trade Matt Ryan, where they might have been able to get a first round pick out of the Bears or the Colts, like if you keep Matt Ryan, you're indicating that you want to win now, but by swapping effectively Julio for Kyle Pitts, you know, all you did was get slightly worse, right? And Kyle Pitts is going to be great long-term, but I just, I do not understand the direction of the Falcons franchise right now. This is what I've been saying for months though. Like as soon as the season ended, we said they need to get rid of Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, blow it up and start over. And so, yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, it makes, they're just doing the best they can now. It makes no sense now, but they should have done this a long time ago, gotten rid of everybody with a big contract, blown it up, start from scratch, probably draft a quarterback and take it from there. Right. They won like six or seven games last year, four. I think. They went four last year? Four and 12. Okay. They went four and 12 last year, got a little bit worse on offense and didn't do anything significant on defense. No, and like, got a tight end. Like, what's the plan? I mean, I, I like Kyle Pitts. I think he's going to be great. Yes. But like, what's the plan? I, I have no idea. I don't get it. I don't get it. All right. Anyway, we want to move on. I think you wanted to talk about a little bit of UFC from this past weekend or this upcoming this weekend. This upcoming weekend. We do have a really good card. Just wanted to throw it out there. So we got two title fights. We've got the rematch of Israel Adesanya and Marvin Vittori. So Marvin Vittori is climbing the ranks right now. Obviously, he's number one contender. Well, he's, he's fighting for the title. So uh, he and Israel Adesanya fought a while back when neither one of them were huge names yet. And it's actually... You can argue either the toughest or the second toughest fight that Israel Adesanya has ever had in his career at middleweight. So he lost his one fight at 205. But Kelvin Gastelum and Marvin Vittori are his two toughest fights ever at 185. So that's going to be a fun rematch. Looking forward to that one. Have another rematch for the little guy's belt, the little 125ers. So Davis and Figueredo and Brandon Marino, they had a good first fight. Davis and Figueredo is just a monster in that division. So I expect him to win, but that'll be fun to watch. Maybe the most exciting fight of the night is going to be Nate Diaz against Leon Edwards. Every time Nate Diaz fights, it's a must-watch deal just because of his style, his toughness. his He's kind of a ridiculous human, the way he talks. How old is he? I feel like he's been around forever. And he's, he's been around forever. And he's just talking shit. <laughs> yeah, but he can barely speak English, which is why it's fun. Like He's, <laughs> yeah. he's talking, but you don't, can't really understand him. Like He needs subtitles, and he's just he's not he's just not bright. But um, you got that, and then Leon Edwards is like a top, 
three, top five guy at 170. If he wins this fight, he might get the next title shot in that division. So guy to keep an eye on. And then for a fourth best fight, Damian Maya against Bilal Muhammad is really fun. So go ahead and tune into that. It's going to be a great time. Looking forward to getting after it. I love it. And while we're on the topic of fights, we got to talk about last night's fight, the huge boxing match, match of the century between the 50-0 Floyd Mayweather and the 0-1 Logan Paul. I officially have no idea what the hell boxing is. Like, why is a 50-0, you know, obvious Hall of Famer, greatest of all time, fighting an 0-1 YouTuber? I don't know. I know. But it drew a lot of money. You know. Why? Because he's broke. Oh, Floyd? Yes. Yeah. He owes the IRS like a ton of money. That'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 50, 50 Cent it people just educated on how broke Floyd Mayweather is, but is there not anyone better to fight? I mean, I guess he made good money. Yeah. He made good money. It's just... So as a as a real fighting fan, like, this is so frustrating to me because for the last, like, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years, I try to get everybody to start watching UFC and nobody does, right? Nobody does. No one wants to talk about it. No one watches <laughs> UFC or yeah. whatever. And then I go to the pool on Saturday with my boys who don't watch UFC and they're like, can't wait for the, the Logan Paul Floyd Mayweather <laughs> fight. I'm going to spend, can't wait to spend $50 on that. Like, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah, you hate to see it all. That was a sick goal. We're watching the Islanders and uh, Bruins right now. The Bruins just tied it 2-2 and the series is 2-2. That was electric. And the, and the crowd is hype right now. Yeah, this I is the first this. hockey game I've watched all year. So, sorry. Me too. Uh, Marshan. Brad, first name? Yes. Yeah, that guy's go. a savage. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. That. Okay, sorry. You were talking about the Logan Paul fight. Yeah, I was just, I, was, I pretty much wrapped up my thought. I'm just frustrated by the fact that people who will not watch UFC are so intrigued by these stupid fights. And then it's even worse because every time this happened after the last, whatever, uh, what's his brother's name? Jake. Jake Paul. After the last Jake Paul fight, everyone's like, wow, that was the biggest waste of time and money of my entire life. I spent $10 for an illegal stream and that was too much money. Yeah, I saw someone say today that I illegally streamed the Mayweather-Paul fight and I still want my money back. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And and then they still do it again. Like people keep on coming back. There's no judges. There's no card. There's no announced winner. It's garbage. No yeah. one cares. They're just in it for the money. They're not actually trying to fight. And it's just... It's it truly absurd. And I think it's so staged too. Like Floyd Mayweather said after the fight that his goal was just to give the fans a show. And he that care. he's already going into the Boxing Hall of Fame and has nothing to lose. So he clearly wasn't like trying. Well, he doesn't have anything to lose because that's why they made it an exhibition. So no matter what happens, he's still going to be 50-0. and Right. Well, he was never going to lose no, you know, but regardless. Still, but still, like he makes it impossible. And then the fact that they're like 30 pounds different in weight, like everything about it just drives me freaking nuts. Yeah. And then Jake Paul just picks people he knows he's going to beat. Like next up is Tyrone Woodley, who is a former UFC champ, but he's like 39 years old, right? He's 39 years old. He's gotten dominated in his last four fights. And just like Ben Askren, he's a, he's a wrestler. Yes. He's not a boxer. No. Yeah, so he's probably going to get knocked out and won't care because he'll make, you know, whatever, a million dollars for a minute. Yes. Um, but I, I read a New York Post article earlier today asking who Jake Paul's next opponent should be. And the first one on the list was Canelo Alvarez. I was like, shut up. That is the most ridiculous <laughs> They don't thing. want to fight actual boxers. No, not at all. That's not what he's in it for. He's in it for... Well, fans and money he's not in it to prove his fighting ability yes i guess i should say that about jake paul not logan considering he just fought floyd yes. mayweather yes you get it yes logan seems to be more athletic than jake i don't know they're i mean they're both huge i just have no idea how to gauge these things we've given them way too much airtime. <laughs> we'd be done yeah let's wrap it up let's wrap it up we got some basketball to watch and i guess a little bit of hockey too let's do it well, thank you all for tuning in once again. Please follow us on Apple and Spotify. Leave us some ratings and reviews. We'll be back next Monday. Have a good day.